Everything's a little different up here than it used to be. All right, so uh, like Brent mentioned, uh, we visited a little bit at the board meeting last night, uh, talking about Bible school and the curriculum and the things that they were working on. And it seemed like a lot, so I told them uh, to work on it and that I would dust off something uh, from my uh, computer, or used to say filing cabinet, it's not a filing cabinet anymore, and uh, that I would do the message tonight. So let's have a word of prayer because I think we all need it. And dear Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all that we have through his death, burial, and resurrection. Let's pray as we look into your word that we could see uh, see you a little more closely and see your character, see your care for us, that we could uh, just embrace that fellowship that you desire to have with us. Uh, let's pray for direction and wisdom as we uh, read through your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is uh, you know in the uh, Old Testament economy, there were the Lord still, you know the, think about it, the Jewish people were his chosen people, and he wanted them to be or wanted to be intimate with them like he does with us. Uh, in Numbers 11, 1, when, we, when you get there, you see then how the people reacted to the provision that God had made. And you see his, here it's called displeasure. His anger was kindled and because of the lack of Fellowship, the lack of appreciation, if you will, for the blessings that God had bestowed upon him. Now, Macintosh, in his book on the Pentateuch, when he gets to Numbers 11, this is what he says. He says, how often is it the case with us when once the heart loses its freshness in divine life? When heavenly things begin to lose their savor, when the first love declines, when Christ ceases to be the satisfying and altogether precious portion for the soul, when the Word of God and prayer lose their charm and become heavy, dull, and mechanical, when the eye wanders back towards the world, and the heart follows the eye, and the feet follow the heart. All this is most sad, and should lead the soul into a most profound self-judgment. It is terrible when those who have set out to follow the Lord begin to grow weary of the way and the provision that God has. Now, as I was thinking about this, 
It made me think of this word, backsliding. We hardly ever use it or hear it. It's actually only used in the Old Testament. There's three places we'll look. You can follow along or you can look at the screen. I have most of the verses on the screen anyway. But here in Jeremiah, he says, Thy own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backsliding shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee. Now fear there is an awe or a respect for God. Proverbs 14, 14, he says, The black cider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. There's one more that I put in Hosea eleven seven. He says, And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. Now, like I said, it's mentioned, this particular word is mentioned a few other times. They're all Old Testament with the exact uh, translation of backsliding. Thirteen more times are found in Jeremiah itself. The principle of backsliding, though, certainly applies to us in the New Testament as well. And that's, if you take those words from Macintosh's quote, think about them as we go through this, you'll see exactly what he's talking about. So you think about what constitutes someone who's backsliding or someone who has lost their fervor for the Lord or lost even a, a desire to walk with the Lord. You know, in... Uh, third and fourth grade Sunday school, and I talked to the children about fellowship. I talked to them, I tell them it's walking and talking with the Lord. That's what the Lord desires. He just desires us to have an intimate relationship with Him. And when we lose that intimacy, you know, we're the definite loser. There's no question. But here... In Revelations 2.4, he says, now he's talking to the churches, but even so, he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Well, how do I know when I've left my first love? I just threw these in here. I'm not going to go over them. We'll just, you can read them right from the screen. It would take too long if we studied these. So here's, there's like eight or nine of them. When my delight in the Lord is no longer as great as my delight in something else, I have left my first love. And there's a couple of verses there. The second one is, when my soul does not long for times of rich fellowship in God's Word or in prayer, I have left my first love. When my thoughts during leisure time, we talked about you can't always be 
praying or thinking about the Lord, but there's plenty of time when we could. So that's why I put in here leisure time. Do not reflect on the Lord. I have left my first love. When I do not willingly and cheerfully give to the Lord's work, but much more so to the needs of others, I have left my first love. When I view the, it could be imperatives here, commands gives a bad sense. But imperatives in God's word as restrictive rather than expressions of his love. I have left my first love. When I inwardly strive for the acclamation of the world rather than the approval of the Lord, I have left my first love. When I fail to make Christ or his word known because I fear rejection from the world, I have left my first love. And when I fail to give up an activity which I know offends a weaker brother for not putting others first in our lives, we're not thinking right. So I've left my first love. And the last one is when I am unable to forgive another for offending me, obviously I'm not in fellowship. I have left my first love. So I just wanted to throw them in here. Here's a the five marks of backsliding. But before we... I just want you to know the Hebrew word for backslide means to go back. So what are we ever prone to go back to? Well, it's obvious it's back to what we were before or back to what we liked before or back to what we focused on before in areas that... We have cultured our flesh over the years to be satisfied or enjoy. It doesn't even have to be something overt. It's just, it's just a change in our focus from thinking about the Lord or walking and talking with the Lord to walking and talking in the world. Now the Israelites dissatisfied, they became dissatisfied with God's provision. And what did they remember? We remembered the leeks and the garlics in Egypt. They didn't remember the taskmasters. They didn't remember the toil. They didn't remember all of the, that they were uh, under bondage. But their minds remembered the leeks and the, the good food that we had in Egypt. Now all that's in front of our eyes is this manna. That's what they say in Numbers 11. And so our focus is the issue. Our focus is the issue all the time. Our focus slips from even as we could look at what we have and be satisfied. That's biblical contentment. But more so we could focus on what we will have. Where will we be in the future? We'll be in heaven. What will it be like? 
You know, I can only imagine. But our focus slips from that. And it falls directly on our daily existence. The grind of life. So what are these five marks of backsliding? And, and this is just arbitrarily decided. <laughs> Nothing. No interest in Christian fellowship. And we'll go through these a little bit more. No desire to attend church. No personal or family devotions. No burden for others. No spiritual sensitivity. So... No interest in Christian fellowship. One of the first things to go in the life of a believer who has taken his eye off the Lord, or we can use the word backslide if we want, is there's no desire to talk to other Christians because the Savior is not, he's not on the forefront of our thinking. Spiritual conversations aren't what we desire because we're not thinking right. So we turn our backs to the Lord and then we begin to slide away from other Christians. Hebrews 10.24 Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We have an obligation really to each other. When he says let us consider us, let us Consider attentively. Let's fix our mind on this. We're encouraged to continually, intentionally consider one another. To incite, to you know, help, if you will, to focus others' fixation. To have our fixation be on the Lord and then to Encourage others. Now the logical reason that we desert other believers is we don't have that spiritual insight. But as in any body, the whole body suffers if one portion of the body is not, you know, I'm going to call it doing its part, but that's not the point. Eventually, you think about Psalm 1, there's a progression in, turn to Psalm 1 for a second, it's not even on our notes here, but. says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Who walketh not in the way or the thinking of the world. Who orders his steps in the thinking of the world. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Now he's not walking anymore. He's fixed. He's standing in the way, not the counsel anymore, but the way of sinners. He's now not thinking, he's doing, 
and sitteth in the seat of the scornful. And now at the end, he's not thinking or doing, he's actually reacting like the lost. You have to say, if you're not enjoying the Lord, and you will not then spend time with other believers to fit in with the other, the rest of the world, you have to say, and you can hear it. I can, I can hear it. Hypocrites. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. That's sitting in the seat of the scornful. And that comes from a believer's mouth who's not enjoying the Lord. It has to. To fit in with the world. It has to happen. So that's the first one. The second one is no desire to attend church. Now, I'm certainly not <laughs> advocating that church is the key. What I will say, though, is church is just a building. The believer, the body of believers, is something completely different. But a danger sign about the loss of focus is if there's always something that comes up. There's always some reason. And even if we're here sometimes, we're not here. We're clock watchers like, like I did in the Catholic Church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but exhorting one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. The fellowship that's, that's available as we gather together the encouragement that you are to others simply by sitting in your seat. We can't, can't abandon, that's forsake. We can't abandon each other to the world. We're not to desert. Almost a word like desertion. But what's the contrast? Let us exhort one another. Let's encourage one another. That word is called to one side to uplift them. And so much the more as the days become more and more evil. Now, there's all kinds of things that come up in our lives, and I understand that. But the bottom line is, what would you do if you could? Consequence for lone wolfing is a spiritual decline and that will generate unhappiness and a wasted life. So that's the second one. The third one is no personal or family devotions. We're not thinking right. We walk past our Bible. It becomes dust Elector, or it stays in the car so we don't forget it when we come to church, or innumerable things. I know the way Macintosh describes it is what what means the well-worn newspaper and the you know he doesn't say it like that, but virtually unbroken Bible means our focus is wrong. 
How do we come to know more about God? How do we have that ability to walk and talk with God? How do we know more about Him? In what way do we foster relationships with each other? Well, we spend time together. Talking or doing or sometimes just being together. Well, how much time do we spend with the Lord? How much time do we spend in God's Word? And you can break it down. All the things you do with your time, uh, I'm willing to bet, and I think we've done it before, you're in the 15 minutes a day. Some of us don't do that. Pretty hard to say we have a love relationship with our Savior and we spend no time talking to Him. We need to memorize His Word. You know, Psalm 119.11, Thy Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. How do we have that on the... You know, the description was on the launching pad of our brains. We need to meditate on His Word. This is a great section of verses in Deuteronomy. It says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when. And you go through these whens, and it's all the time. When you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you bind them as frontlets. Those were the things that kept them looking straight. Animals, but certainly applies to us. Write them on the posts of thy house and upon thy gates all the time. How important is it? How important is knowing God's Word? I'm going to go to them all, but Proverbs 1, 2, 3. You can go on and on about the importance of God's Word in the book of Proverbs. It's amazing. The emphasis that God places on how important the Word of God is and how minimally we look to that Word of God, which He says is so important. And what's wrong with us, you know? And I'll say this, any failure in your Christian life can be traced back to no time spent in the Word of God. How much more can he tell us that something is quite honestly we will ignore? Okay, the next one is no burden for others. Go right to this verse, 2 Thessalonians 1.3 says, And we're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly in the charity of every one of you, all toward each other aboundeth. Now, is that true of us? It's not true if we're not thinking right, if our focus is wrong, if we're backsliding. It's not true. We don't care about each other. 
But here he says we're abound. That word has a sense of obligation to it. We're actually indebted by the grace of God that he's provided for us. We're indebted by that to reach out to each other and to uplift each other. We're under obligation in a sense. Now, that's not law. I don't mean that. It's all grace. The Spirit of God produces it in our life. The point, though, is Jesus and others and you. And others is a big part. And if we have no burden and we don't give a hoot about the others here in this assembly, we're not thinking right. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, what? Preferring one another. It's not us. It's, it's family affection. Brotherly love, family affection one to another. Preferring one another. Let them go first. That's the wrong verse. But it's Philippians 2 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem the other better than themselves. Notice the word indicates God's work through us as we walk in fellowship. Let. Don't allow strife to be our motivator. Let God be our motivator. But in contrast, in lowliness of mind. That's the true reflection. That's a reflection of the mind of Christ. Who what? who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself an example of being humble. And we should esteem others better than ourselves. A selfless life. Okay, we made an error here. I want you to turn to... uh, Matthew chapter 9, because that's no burden, <clears throat> no burden for others. I was telling my wife, <clears throat> I can't even get this PowerPoint to do stuff anymore. So I just, <laughs> I don't do this anymore. Anyway, it, it's not working exactly right. But in Matthew 9, See, the no burden for others is a two-way street. Other believers, that's an important thing in a burden for others, but we should have a burden for the lost. And so in Matthew 9, he says, Then saith he and his disciples, The harvest is truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. We have to have a burden for the lost. The expression of driving down the road and seeing the trees go by and to think, how much focus do we have on that? Virtually nothing. The trees mean nothing to us. 
They're just a blur. And that's the lost. If our focus is wrong, they're just a blur. They have no part in our lives, and we have no burden for their souls. This expression is also, I don't think I have it anywhere, but if you want to, I don't know if you can write them down, but Matthew 13.30, Matthew 13.39, Mark 4.29, Luke 10.2, and John 4.25. Okay, we're not going to do that, but look at Romans 10.1. It says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. What an attitude. You know, later, other times he says he would go to hell if his brethren could be saved. Paul's prayer was that men would be saved and we have to have a burden for others both Christians and the lost alike. Now, the last one that I put was no spiritual sensitivity. Now, what I mean by this is there's no... It's just a dullness about spiritual things. You know, we have a greater concern for doing, but we don't have the our focus isn't right. Now, Psalm 36, 1 through 4. It says, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there's no fear of God before his eyes. There's no awe for God. There's no deep respect. There's no love for the Lord. He flattereth himself with his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He selleth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. The most obvious area is insensitivity to sin. Our soul is no longer disturbed by the generation, really, of moral values or godly conduct. And we start to have an acceptance for the world's standards. We start to have an acceptance for the world's philosophies. There's righteousness and there's unrighteousness. And the world just grays that up to such an extent that we fall in the trap of thinking if we're a little better than white, I should be the other way, if we're a little better than dark, it's still good enough. It's, it's not good enough. There's white and there's dark. There's black and there's white. You turn a light on in a room, the darkness is gone. You turn the light off, completely dark. You know, almost without us knowing, we've slipped into the ways of thinking of the world. We generate excuses for tolerance 
And soon, when we're not thinking right, we don't, we, we don't even avail ourselves to God's provision for sin. Now, what causes these missteps? What, what causes this backsliding? You know, as I thought about it, what are the causes for, well, giving in to our weaknesses? I think I list them again, then we'll go through them. I think. Okay, giving in to our weaknesses. Now, we all have areas of weaknesses in our lives. Some, some areas, some things that bother us or some things that, that trip us up, if you will, or areas we, we are more prone to, if you will. They're, not, they're different than everyone else's. But Satan knows exactly and the focus on the weak links. Think, who's the weakest link? We are obviously our flesh. You know, trapping, some of you are trappers, trapping works because of the bait. You set a bait and it overcomes the animal's sense of fear or of uncertainty because the bait is so strong that they, that apprehension that usually saves their life, takes their life. We have, the Satan had, the world has traps for us. The bait is there for us. Think of Jacob. You know, he tripped up several times by his greed. You know, it was manifested even in cheating and lying. David and Samson were both failed the allure of a beautiful woman. Moses was felled after all his following of the Lord by his inclusion of himself as leading the people. You want to call it his pride. We all have weaknesses. And we, have, we can have victory over them. We need, although we know through Christ's strength we have the victory. For example, if you're prone to, to uh, it doesn't matter what it is. I hate to make examples because someone always takes it wrong. Point though is, if you have a weakness, don't stand there saying, I can overcome this. That's why Joseph was successful because what he fled from Potiphar's wife. First Peter two eleven says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Don't give in. Think about our weaknesses and plan to stay away from those areas. Now, the next one is placing the temporal above the eternal, and that's just focus. You know, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Worldliness. If you prefer material things of this world more than spiritual life with Christ, 
then this applies certainly to each and every one of us. The speaking again of overall focus of our life, an occasional slip we all will experience. The point is, what's our perspective? What is our vision for our life? <laughs> That's not right. Okay, let's skip some here. Go back. Okay, turn to uh, Philippians 3.20. In my defense, I will say I had a different memory stick in my computer. And when I was uh, all done, I put it back in to see how this would work. And it said, failure. Your stick is failure. So I had to get a new one. But in, in, in all truth, <laughs> I would have failed anyway. Okay, so Philippians 3.20. Our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our life, our conversation, our manner of living, our life is in heaven. Our life is a spiritual life. Apart from a spirit-filled life, our life is meaningless. Turn to uh, Hebrews 11.13. I don't think that's on here either. Now, as he goes through, he's not even all the way through, but he's talking about living by faith and giving examples of it. And he gets to 13 and he said, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and they were persuaded of them. And they embraced them. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Are we strangers and pilgrims on the earth? Yes, we are. Do we live like we're strangers and pilgrims on the earth? Not so much. We put down roots. Our homeland is in heaven. And as we wander or wander through this strange world, we're told repeatedly don't plant roots here. We place the temporal before the eternal. Our focus on what we have on this earth versus what we have in heaven. And then we have what we call the lazy boy mentality. You know, no servant concern two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, else he will hold to the one and despise you. You cannot serve. You cannot do service. You cannot... It's really do loss in a way. It's, it's a slave mentality where where we would do all that we can with no thought of ourselves. Who do we serve in a 24-hour service? A continual subservient to God or a continual subservient to the worldliness around us? We can be torn, our two natures. We'll be frustrated Trying to please both, it doesn't work. It's an impossible situation. You choose worldly viewpoint. You choose to walk by sight. You will 
suffer consequences. There's no question about it. Disastrous at times. Look at uh, Genesis 13, 12. I'm pretty sure that's not on here either. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And Lot followed Psalm 1, and he he saw it. It looked good to him. He went there, thought like they did. Acted like they did. Pitched his tent. Starting down the path of occupation with the world on the temporal things in our life. It's like boiling a frog. Before we know it. There we are. Now, another one is taking our blessings for granted. Sometimes we're so involved with the blessings God has given us. You think about all the things we have, our families, our homes, our jobs. We forget that God gave that all to us. Israel's a classic example. Moses warned them about being presumptuous. About their many blessings that God had showered on them. Look at, uh, well it's up on the... Deuteronomy 8. And when they had eaten and art full, when thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. And in not keeping his commandments and judgments and statutes which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, And when thy herds and flocks multiply, and the silver and gold is multiplied, and all that thou had is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt, and gave you all of these blessings. Their their history is plain. They didn't need... Most anything that won't, they didn't heed most anything that Moses told them. And they suffered then through occupations, captivities, and all of these things. And the point in the le- in, in a lesson from the Old Testament is we don't have to replicate that. History is only good if you learn something from it. Truth be told, we don't learn anything from it. Okay, another one is letting adversity overcome us. So, the response that we exhibit when tragedy strikes us. Now, we have talked many times about victory over circumstances, about suffering. Look at this verse. But as for me, my feet are almost gone. My steps were well nigh slipped, for I was envious of the foolish, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
Now, in a few verses farther, here's his response. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. None of those things he mentioned in the first part matter. When we focus on the things that are in our lives that are distressing us, that are causing us anxiety, the truth is none of it matters. God's with us. He's holding us by our hand. And afterward, He will receive us all into glory. Now, the way back, I added this little part. We started with Revelations 2.4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And we end with this. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do thy first works, or else I will come quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Now, there's three words here that we need to focus on. Again, he's talking to the churches there, but it applies. The first one is remember. And then he talks about repent And then he talks about do thy first works. Remember. Be mindful of. Call to your mind. It's present active imperative. It means you have to, for you to be successful as a Christian, you have to continually do this. You have to focus your mind on Jesus Christ. The joyful life, a life in service to God rather than the pleasure of this world. We have to recapture that joy initially. If we have fallen, we have to recapture the joy by simply think back. And then he says, repent. Now it's change your mind. In a moment of time, in a moment of time, can change your mind and agree with God about your thinking is whacked. There is no going forward if we're mired in sin. There's no need to change our we need to change our mind and agree with God. And then he says, Do thy first works. And all three of these are present active imperative. All three of these are absolutely essential for you to be successful as a Christian. You have to call to mind. You have to change your mind. You have to move on. A moment of time. Refocus on our service for the Lord. Refocus on walking and talking with the Lord. That's fellowship. You know, if backsliding is turning back to Egypt when the, for the Israelites, then this is turning back to the Lord. Seeing what's really important. 
These are not actions that we need to do. These are changes in our thinking. But we must do it. We must stop wasting our lives and really live a life that's worth living. Because he says, time's short. We don't have, you have no idea how long your life is. You can't keep wasting days, can't keep wasting minutes. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeem means to buy back. Buy back something with our lives. Make our lives have some value. What are we spending our time on? It's either service for the Lord or it's in the pursuit of the flesh. This is a, I don't know, it's just a little poem thing. It's on my desk. So this is the beginning of a new day. Been given this day to use as you will. You can waste it or use it for good. What you do today is important because you're exchanging a day of your life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day... Never mind. (laughs) When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. And in its place will be something you've left behind let it be something good. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the provision that You made for us for a fellowship that we can walk and talk with You in this life and have a real life, a life that's worth living, that we can enjoy both in time and in eternity, what walking and talking with You brings for us. That we can enjoy the blessings You've showered upon us and realize that You're the awesome God and yet You want to fellowship with us. Pray that we would have a burden for others, both the lost and the saved. Pray that we would want to have knowledge of You in our thinking, that we would spend time in Your Word. Pray that we would exchange the days of our life for something of real value. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, Of course,